Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is pastoral care, not the care that pastors give, but care for the pastor. And I have two distinguished guests with me uh, today, uh, Bruce Ewing, who is Special Assistant to the President and Alumni Relations here at Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you. And Joe Allen, our distinguished chaplain uh, at, at the seminary, just finished his rookie year as chaplain here at Dallas. So well done, Joe. You're our chaplain rookie of the year, and we appreciate having you with us. Thank you. Yeah. We are um, going to look at pastoral care and thinking about really um, how the pastor can care for himself, how he can avoid burnout, those kinds of issues. Uh, as we have done our ministry at the Hendricks Center, uh, we have found this to be a repeated theme, and Bruce has kind of slipped into dealing with this. It might be the way to, to say it. That's the, that's the secular way to say it. He's been led into this area in one way or another. Uh, and of course, the chaplaincy and pastoral ministry experience that Joe has brings us to the table. So let's tell people a little bit how you how you became concerned with this as an issue. And Bruce, I'll let you start. How did you come to literally? You're traveling the country these days, mm-hmm. interacting with pastors mm-hmm. and helping them with where they are and and the, and the challenges of the pastorate. You know, when I started out, I had no idea what I was in for, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it seems like as my wife and I do this together, which really has worked out well because we too often forget the wives in the process. Very, very good And point. I'll tell you what, right now, we've got some of the toughest gals mm-hmm. in the country who mm. really stand by their man. Mm. But every appointment was God-ordained. Mm. I mean, it's, we walk into situations that pastors are struggling with things that they don't have the freedom to share with a lot of people. Uh, Trust is a big issue. Joe and I were talking about that a while ago. Mm -hmm. Who do I trust? Because usually what you say can and will be used against you in some form. So so, uh, it's really been an eye-opening experience, uh, alarming at times, but very encouraging most Mm. of the time. Now, how long have you been functioning as a special assistant in the Alumni Relations Office? It's about four years now. Uh, I was pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Tulsa mm-hmm. for 33 years. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I worked in a denominational setting for three years. Before seminary, we were in crusade for five years. Oh, so wow. we had a pretty broad range mm-hmm. of uh, experiences before we went into this. And then after I re- retired from the church, uh, Dr. Bailey called and asked if I could be his assistant. That's great. So, so literally, part of your role is to visit churches around the country and just kind of rally around the pastor, if I can say it that way. You got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so, and you've been doing this uh, four years, and you've literally <laughs> spanned the globe huh, in terms of the country, in terms of uh, pastoral care. Put a lot of miles on. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, we'll come back and talk about the details in a second. Um, Joe, what about you? Uh, what's your experience, obviously, to start with your pastoral experience. Pastored several churches, uh, most of them in Georgia after after graduating from Dallas in 1988. Mm-hmm. And um, 
uh, had a conversation with Dr. Bailey uh, at the Dead Sea uh, when I went on a trip and uh, just happened to mention I might be interested in being the chaplain if that position ever came open. I had no idea that Chaplain Bill was retiring. Uh-huh. No idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Bailey said, uh, "Well, get me your resume, and uh, uh, you know, we'll 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 talk about it." And uh, I, I did. I, as a matter of fact, I had the resume on my desk um, at my church. I was very very happy at the church where I was serving, hmm. and we thought we'd retire there. Hmm. Had the resume. It was about a month after the trip. I had gone on a trip to the Holy Land, obviously, with Dr. Bailey, and that was a first, first mm-hmm. time I'd been there, and mm-hmm. had always wanted to do that. And so I, I took the resume and uh, I'd polished it up and pushed it forward. Was just a little bit discouraged because I thought, why am I wasting my time with this? Hmm. Nothing's going to come of it. Uh-huh. And uh, I sat back in my chair, and at that precise moment, I got an email from Dr. Bailey. Hmm. And he said, I've changed my thinking. Mm-hmm. When can you talk? Uh-huh. And everything else from there is history. Oh, so wow. Ended up here at the seminary. And and, and so you you were, what, 20 plus years in the pastorate? Uh, 30. 30, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 30 years in the pastorate. So you know of what we're about to address. You've been on the. You've been on the receiving end yeah. of been of kicked around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk. Let's start off by, first by just helping people think about. What's involved in the pastorate? You know, a lot of people just think that pastors get up and they preach once a week and maybe the odd hospital visit now and again, that kind of thing, but that it's not a very um, demanding kind of vocation to engage in. Uh, Bruce, tell us what your perspective is on what it takes to to do uh, pastoral work. I wish I'd have known then what I know now. I don't think very many of the guys are prepared. We, we hear it here, but when mm-hmm. you get flesh on flesh for the day in and day out crisis you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, as we begin, as I begin to think about this, uh, I begin to look into the life of Paul and saw that the struggles he had, I mean, I think there were times when Paul was close to deep depression, Second mm-hmm. uh, Corinthians chapter 2, the first five verses there. Then I begin to study people like uh, Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, Jonathan Edwards said his wife's main responsibility was to keep him out of depression. Mm. I never realized Henry Ironside uh, spent hours in tears because of the pressure of ministry. Mm-hmm. And what I've begun to discover is, is that the guys, the more directly they're involved in a community and the real-life world, the mm-hmm. greater pressure it is because mm-hmm. it's an impossible world out there apart from what we know to be true about Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the day-to-day pressures of, uh, of ministry and the fact that you're dealing with um, everybody's crises in many ways, uh, no matter which way you turn. And uh, crises have a way of not scheduling themselves. <laughs> um, they, they just show right. up. So they can build up and they can come one after the other. Um, uh, Joe, how do you, how do, what, do you, what do you think about what it is that the pastor faces? What are the, some of the major uh, things you, you think people may not be aware of that they ought to realize? Well, I th- somebody once said that a uh, a church is like a hound dog. Uh-huh. If you're afraid of it, it'll eat you up. <laughs> and I contend that even if you're not afraid of it, it will yeah. eat you up. Yeah. Because uh, 
I, I came out of this place thinking the most important thing that a pastor does is preach, mm-hmm. and I still believe that. Mm-hmm. But churches don't always see it that way. That's right. And it depends on the size of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take on different personalities. Um, but I still believe the most important thing a pastor does is to preach. I was at a church that in many ways was very traditional. It was a small uh, southern town in South Georgia most recently. And, um, you know, we, we tried to bring them up to speed and did a good job as far as worship was concerned, but I was still preaching three sermons a week, three full-blown messages a week. Mm-hmm. And I always liken it to driving down a highway with telephone poles just zipping by. You yeah, know? yeah. But when you add to that hospital visits and outreach visits and teaching deacons and you always have funerals and weddings and I happen to have had a secretary that couldn't protect me and uh, so people are always sticking their head in the door. Uh Uh, New members classes, Sunday school training, counseling, I mean it's it can be um, just the responsibilities can be overwhelming and then when people get crossways with you (laughs) <laughs> or if you have leadership that is not happy with your leadership, then you've got that added stress of personality conflicts, and you're in trouble. And it adds up. Yeah, I, I used to I teach I used to teach a class regularly in Ephesians in which we were preparing guys for their teaching and preaching, and I used to say, you know, if you're in a traditional church, that's three times a week. So that's you know Sunday morning, Sunday evening, take a little breath. Wednesday night. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, take a little breath, Wednesday night. And that little beat just keeps on going. And you're preparing for what you're going to say, but then there's the whole relational side of ministry which comes alongside that in which all these other things are happening. And in the midst of thinking about uh, how you're going to care for the spiritual needs and for the um, and for the theological nurture of your community, uh, you've got uh, you've got all those relational things happening. And I remember a conversation I had with a pastor who I had interned under when I was a student. Uh, he had ministered in North Carolina and had gone to Illinois and had been there for several years, a very prestigious church. And we were visiting and he said, I feel like a Coke machine in which someone keeps pulling out Cokes, those old Coke machines that had the little yeah. you know hinges on them and you'd pull the little glass Coke out of this. If you're a younger person, you probably don't get this illustration, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, and if, and if you and, and you keep pulling, he says, and what I've discovered is I'm out of Coke, mm-hmm. and people are still putting their money in the machine, and that's how he felt. And I thought, man, that is a really graphic image of what's going that's on. True, Terrific illustration. Yeah, and and so he felt spent. I mean, that was, and I and I could tell everything about him was so different than when I had interned under him. Oh, probably a decade and a half earlier, and uh, I remember walking out and visiting with my wife afterwards, and said, "You know, Pastor, you know, I will leave the name unnamed. Uh, you know, he isn't the same person. I can see that he's under the weight of of ministry." So um, we want to kind of talk about a few things here. We've talked about kind of the, what produces the weight of ministry, and so. On the one side, we want to talk about how does the pastor care and protect himself from getting into that situation, because obviously it's better not to get into that situation. And then secondly, uh, what are the, some of the things you can do if you find yourself 
in or on the edge of that situation that can help you. So let's talk about first pastoral care in a kind of preventative mode to start off with and ask the question, and I'll ask this for you, to you, Bruce. Uh, what kinds of things do you recommend to pastors to kind of help them um, avoid uh, this, this sense that there's uh, – I'm being pulled on all the time and I'm running out of stuff to offer. The, the tank is empty. Boy, that can happen so quickly, can't it, Joe? And it'll blindside you mm -hmm. because we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we didn't have a strong call mm -hmm. to the ministry. And most of us can't say no. That's just who we are, and that's the way God wired most of us that mm -hmm. are in, in pastoral roles. One of the things that I think a guy has to have is one or two confidants, mm -hmm. preferably yeah. outside the church. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be in an environment where you can let your hair down, be transparent. I know some guys, uh, uh, friends of mine who've graduated from the seminary, they have real good friendships in another state where they mm -hmm. get, even get together on a regular basis. It took me a while to develop that because we planted a church, mm -hmm. and it wasn't until about five years that I found that my best relationships were in ministries I had outside the church. Hmm. Uh, I, I enjoy working with businessmen, plus I, uh, I did a lot of chaplain work for athletic teams. So there was one particular football coach, college coach, that I was able to be transparent with. The guys in my Bible study that I have over at a country club, we just uh, – I, I would trust my life with them. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really critical, I would say, Joe, that we have someone that we can really be transparent with. Oh, I echo that mm -hmm. 100 percent. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to find. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to find. The second thing I would mention, and I was surprised when I looked at the statistics on this, less than 30 percent of the pastors have a time in the Word apart from sermon preparation. Hmm. That's, that's not good. Mm -hmm. uh, I found that the more I could spend time one-on-one -on -one with God, mm -hmm. just alone with Him, take a passage, and not expect to get anything out of it except Him, mm -hmm. uh, that bailed me out on many occasions. You know, that's an interesting observation because this is a variation of something that I like to say, and that is um, – I think that what happens to many pastors is is that they go into the Word and they consciously think about preparing to teach or teach for someone else. Mm -hmm. And they spend all this time in the Word where the Word is not speaking to them. You've, you're so right. And, and, and so because I'm thinking about what I'm going to say to the group. And so I actually think – now this might be a, produce a conversation between the two of us. I actually think that thinking about having a quiet time distinct from when you prepare is uh, not the way to think about this. Whenever you open the Word, the first goal should be to have God speak to you, whether you're preparing to preach or teach or whether you're in your own devotional time. And I think we've set ourselves up for a fall to a certain extent by creating the mentality that says, there are certain times when I'm in the Word and I'm in the Word for someone else, mm -hmm. and there are other times when I'm in the Word and I'm in the Word for me. And I think that I, what I tell students is you lose control of that switch. If you set it up, eventually you lose mm -hmm. control of that switch, and you find you can't turn it on or off. So if you develop the habit of whenever you open the Word, that the, the first 
things you want to hear is what God is saying to you. Because if God is teaching you through the Word, He's actually setting up what He may be mm -hmm. teaching others as well. Mm -hmm. And if you circumvent yourself from that process, it seems to me that's a that's a danger. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and I don't think it's either or, and I don't yeah. think Bruce meant that. No, I think no, it's no, both not at all. No. I think it's both and. You, I do think you need to have a time where it's just you drawing close to the Lord. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I mean, it, it's both and. Mm -hmm. It's both and. And, and I'd be, I would have been sunk had I not tried to get something out of even when I'm preparing for others. Yeah, because I find that some of my most effective teaching can be where God has been teaching me something about mm -hmm. what He's done in the Word, and then all that. Uh, and when I translate that into, you know, this is how God interacts with people in the midst of life. Uh, you know, that works. And so. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I think I think you're right. I think that the the way we interact with the word in our preparation um, is important. And if I and if I think I'm kind of on assignment, if I can think of it that way, um, that's that's another thing that can eat at at ministry. I think. My wife has <clears throat> saying that you never draw water out of a dry well. Mm -hmm. Pardon me. <clears throat> and. To me, uh, I've been I've been spent a lot of time, for instance, reading this uh, little book, "Abide in Christ," with uh, um, um, who is it? Andrew Murray. Mm -hmm. My goodness, as he ties that in, all of a sudden that energizes me on a personal level and gives me. I I think we have to take ownership of Scripture. It has to own us, mm -hmm. and and I think we do categorize too often without really allowing. You look at Psalm 119. You see how, in every one of those verses, how many are there? 148 verses. Every verse has something about the commandments, the word, the law of how it relates to me on a daily basis. And if I'm not having intercourse with Scripture in the most intimate of form, then I don't have anything to say to people. I may give them some facts, but mm -hmm. it has to be out of our own, I think, experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, so we, we've talked about uh, having that friendship outside the circle of the church. Someone we can really confide in. We've talked about. It's interesting. These are both relational, heavily relational. The other is having that relationship with God as you're interacting with Him in the Word. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it is the relational parts of the pastorate that that are potentially draining. So mm -hmm. I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that it's the relational um, element that we really have to nurture in mm -hmm. order to, to stay relational. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> There's a re re recent article in uh, Leadership Journal. Uh, N.T. Wright says, it's not the workload that takes you under, it's not the time factor that takes you under, it's the pain of relationships mm -hmm. that take you under. And in all my, my research, as I've prepared for today even, it's amazing. 80% uh, of pastors do not have a friend. Hmm. Um, it brings in eighty percent of pastors say uh, it's taking a toll on our marriage. Hmm. So the relational aspect of it, uh, Miller, who wrote the article, goes on to say that if, if we knew that we were going to sign off, write a contract that said it was going to be uh, involve uh, deceit, deception, uh, discouragement. Uh, um, judged motives, all of those things that we all struggle in, Pastor, we probably would have never signed up. Hmm. Hmm. 
Uh, I want to bring in one other factor that's obviously important in all this, and you've alluded to it, and this is uh, hopefully this will cover us, I think, up till the break, and that is um, the role of the spouse mm-hmm. in all this. Um, it seems to me there are a couple of dangers here. One is uh, the spouse who ends up being so detached from our ministry that that. Uh, the demands of the ministry suck us in and, and really break the relationship that we have with the spouse. That's one danger. And the other danger is what I would call perhaps the overprotective spouse on the other end, the spouse who's so concerned about the reputation of her husband and the way that he's viewed that it almost becomes an additional pressure to deal with in ministry. Now, those are two ends of the spectrum, it seems to me, one a very detached mm-hmm. and the other a very engaged spouse. And keeping your spouse uh, properly attuned to what's happening in ministry, I take it, is also a pretty important important thing, uh, right, Joe? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, when I started off, I I used to have the idea this is my soulmate. I'll share share everything with her, mm-hmm. and I realized after a while that's not always so wise because mm-hmm. I also took a vow to protect her. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife is. Uh, at one end of the spectrum where she wants to make sure that I'm protected. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, Prof. Hendricks used to say, uh, a man who doesn't listen to his wife is a fool. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with that. And she's, yeah. by the way, a great barometer yes. to tell you when, hey, we need to get away. Yeah, mm-hmm. Vance Avner's the one who said, um, uh, come apart or you'll come apart. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, I would always try to listen to her. But I would also try to protect her because if, if somebody in the church did me dirty, mm-hmm. I didn't go home and tell her about it because I didn't want to color her view of that person. Right. She didn't need to have that. She needed to she needed to be a good pastor's wife and love everybody. And, right. and thankfully, I have a wife that does love everybody. Right. Um, but yeah, you, I do think there's a, there's an element of uh, of protecting her uh, involved that uh, that I've always tried to live by. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So I suspect, Bruce, that when you interact, and we don't have a lot of time for this, but when you interact with uh, with a pastor, you're actually interacting with the couple in in most cases. By all means, yeah, uh, it's amazing. There's a number of wives that really feel left out. Uh, I see during the headlight of the pastor. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she begins to talk a little bit, mm-hmm. and that way, that was true. My wife, uh, when when we when I uh, retired, she finally told me. She said, "You were so committed to ministry. I felt like when we used to play crack the whip, you know that game. Mm-hmm. I was always at the end, and I was getting flipped off, mm-hmm. and that just broke my heart. And then I was preparing for a conference here in Branson the other day, and got a hold of one of her journals, 
and asked her for permission to read it. And it broke my heart when I saw how I had left her. We Every Thursday night was date night. Mm-hmm. We always had time together, but somehow I really blew it. Serving as an elder, I've been in situations where I've where um, someone has reached out to a husband in a context of ministry and has left the wife unaddressed, and, and you get feedback that way. So this is a common uh, problem oftentimes. And I'm, I'm reminded of a situation in the church that I'm aware of where the church program was being assessed in a very public way, in a very public meeting, in a series of small groups. And the pastor's wife was attending, and she couldn't take the criti- the, the criti- well the assessment that was going on, which brought <laughs> it was criticism. inevitably criticism, and became very very defensive. And all of a sudden, the pastor is not just dealing with what's going on in the meeting about the church, which is a process that he to some degree initiated, but now he's dealing with his wife's reaction and what's going on around him. And that's just one example of a disruption. Joe, you were sharing with me another example of the type of thing that sometimes pastors run into. Uh, well, just personal mm-hmm. pressures that that come to pl- that come to bear on his life. Um, in 2007, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, my dad died, hmm. and I was very very close to my dad, uh, and so it was a, it was a tough time. And, and these so two things happen kind of on top of each yes, other. Yes, just yeah, within close proximity, and and you know you're dealing with that, and and you know you just. Forget about the church pressures, uh-huh. and they're always there. Yeah, uh, but then to have added pressures, it it uh, it can it can weigh heavily on you. Mm-hmm. So, Bruce, you walk in on a regular basis uh, to these churches, and you get to know these pastors, and you get to interact with them, and oftentimes with their spouses. Uh, I think you. Uh, alluded earlier to sometimes when the spouse speaks, the, the pastor gets a deer-in-headlights look, because um, do, do those pastors know what's coming, or are they caught by surprise, or is it a mix? What's, what's going on there? I'd be interested to know what Joe says about this. It seems to me like because of the nature of the work, we get so caught up in it, and we feel like probably you always hurt the one you love that old ballad, Mm -hmm. and our wives are the easiest ones to leave out of the equation. Mm -hmm. And so we go on with the ministry, and a good ministry, but we just leave the wife out, and we don't realize that. And I wish I could go back, Mm -hmm. uh, but my wife – and again, the disposition of the wives is different. Some are probably more demanding. My wife was a low-maintenance wife, Mm -hmm. so I was fortunate, you know, but it took a toll on us, too. Mm -hmm. So really, we've 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 mentioned three. We haven't mentioned the church per se. We've mentioned three core mm-hmm. relationships that really are important to pastors. One is having someone that they can confide in, at least one person who's outside the circle of the church with whom they can be transparent. We've talked obviously about their walk with the Lord and how that works. And the third. Uh, figure in this, kind of a pastoral trinity maybe, is, is the wife, um, you know, uh, and making sure that she's in a proper way, in a healthy way in the loop. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of three ways to uh, for pastors to kind of make sure that they're they're not isolated and that there's there's some form of protection. Okay, well let's shift gears now. You walk into a church. And you meet with these pastors on a regular basis, mm-hmm. Bruce. And when you do this, oftentimes uh, you discover 
a pastor is is hurting. Um, what what what? Obviously, these are individualized situations, but are, are there general things that you see on a regular basis that kind of says, "Yeah, all the symptoms are here." Yeah, um, and again, every situation is different, and every pastor it changes throughout mm-hmm. the year. So I, I'll make a visit one year, come back the next year, and he's dealing with a whole different set of issues because of the complexity of what ministry is. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest issue that most pastors have across the board is one of trust. Hmm. I remember one of the first people I went to visit, a rather significant church, I kind of had to trick the secretary into even getting in to see him, and finally I went in and he's sitting behind his desk like this, just looking at me. Mm And he said, the first question out of his mouth is, what do you want? Hmm. Because that's the mentality. Everybody wants mm-hmm. something from They want to get another Coke out of the machine. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want all the money you've got. I'm with the seminary. And we just kind of stared at each other, and, <laughs> and he kind of laughed a little bit. And uh, we talked a little bit. And he began to open up a little bit more, and he said, I want to know if I can trust you or not. Hmm. And out of that relationship has become, I mean, he has shared with me personal things that Mm -hmm. he otherwise wouldn't share. And I think that's one of the great ministries we could have with each other Mm -hmm. is just to listen and let them know that this is confidential, I trust you. And what I'm hearing kind of on the backside is is that one of the danger and subtle things that can happen in ministry is you build up this wall of self-protection. and. In thinking that you're building a wall to protect yourself, you're actually building a wall to isolate yourself and set yourself up for trust all. and isolation. I think are the two big things that take guys under. Interesting, <clears throat> Joe. What what you, what your been your read on how, on what happens when when things are starting to go south? I would agree uh, with what Bruce said. I. Um, you know, you take a church and it takes you – if you take an established church, it's different than Bruce's situation since he started a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, he created his own problems. But, uh, <laughs> That's right. uh, but yeah. you inherit problems and when you take an established mm-hmm. church – and they say it takes anywhere from five to seven years to become the pastor, and mm-hmm. it took me nine. Hmm. But people have to see that you're human and that you have to go through suffering and you have to marry them and you have to bury them before they trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it took me nine, and I can put my finger on the very day of the very evening I became the pastor of the church. Hmm. We were in a deacon's meeting, and uh, of course we used our deacons as elders. Mm-hmm. We just so raised it was a the Baptist standard church of the day. or a Baptist, yeah, Baptist church. church. Okay, we got to yeah. do all the tra- theological translating for everybody. Okay, uh, and we were at a we were at a deacon retreat, and uh, two guys ambushed us. Hmm. Two of the deacons ambushed hmm. us. It doesn't matter whether you have deacons, elders, or how you're running your church. Right. The, the character of the people involved is what counts. Right. These guys ambushed us. They ambushed me. They ambushed the staff. They ambushed the, the chairman of the deacons. Hmm. And um, you know they made accusations that n- nothing about doing something illegal, immoral, or unbiblical. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they just things weren't going the way they wanted them to go, and mm-hmm. they had hooked up together and. So they made these accusations, and I can remember that the rest of the deacons, we had a big U-shaped mm-hmm. tables, and uh, the deacons stood up, literally stood up, and said, this is our pastor. He's a godly man. He's working hard. We're going to back him. Hmm. So these guys had to tuck tail, hmm. and mm-hmm. one of them left the church, and the other 
never gave me a moment's trouble. And that's when I became the pastor, and, and we had a great ministry from there on out. I mean, for me, mm-hmm. I can deal with the you know the three sermons right, a week right, and, right. and all the other stuff, but it's those relationships. If they go south, that's when the pressure really comes. Right, right, because so. you feel like you're you're out of sorts in some ways. Here you are called to minister oh, yeah. to people, and 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 for one reason or another, they're not responding, or you've got them on the wrong side of the equation. They're wrestling with trusting you. You're doing your best. You're, you're spending all this energy, and nothing seems to be coming out of it. And that feels like a little bit like you're hitting your head against a wall mm-hmm. in ministry, and that can't be a good thing. So you walk in. And you're dealing with uh, you're dealing with a situation where you recognize something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you What do you do? How would you, I imagine the first thing you do is you do a whole lot of listening. That's the hardest thing. You, you know, there are so many seminars. Everybody's got a seminar. So right, right, right. Problem. If uh, I'm, I'm really partial to leadership, I, I just love to help in the area of leadership. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing for me to do is shut my mouth and listen. Mm-hmm. And I contact, let them know that I really do care. Mm-hmm. Because when you get down to it, uh, uh, my uh, friend who's a collegiate football coach says, you know, we have a lot in common. You're as good as your last game. And people sometimes just don't care. Mm-hmm. But I think to be able to truly listen and then they will it's – it's a wild what – what they come up with as mm. to the things that, and it's things that Joe struggled with, things that I've struggled with. Most of it revolves around relationships, power struggles within the mm-hmm. church, and then being able to come to grips with the fact that each one of us have a sin nature, not mm-hmm. just the deacon that jumped on your case, mm-hmm. but a term I try to use is am I responding or reacting to the situation mm. and the human nature. The, I think the big thing is is guys struggle with power struggles within the church. Oh, yeah. You know? Ego. And yeah, and I, I find another one that, that I've run into is they, they struggle with their own competency mm-hmm. in the midst of their ministry. Um, you know, why isn't my church, and then you can fill in the blank, of the expectations that they may have had coming in and what they're actually dealing with, and and they take full responsibility for, for that if they feel like it's coming up short and raise questions about their own competency. It seems to me that that's – in the situations that I've been involved in, that's been the major thing that I see, because I get – you know, I do get to travel the country. I get to walk and speak in a lot of churches. and. Oftentimes, I'm going to lunch with the staff or with the main pastor or have had dinner the night before. And because I'm an outsider, it's almost like sometimes I'm a release valve for that pastor, and they get to share what's really going on in the church, or they have a question of something that's really bothering me. And I find there's a lot of self-doubt in in, in ministers, uh, particularly if the church is – even if the church is just kind of average, which isn't a bad thing. You know, but they view it negatively in, in a reflection on their competence. So, so between relational struggles and self doubt, it seems to me those are the those are the things I I tend to see the most. Is there anything else that goes in that list? I I think we those those are the two, those are the two big ones. I I, I would I would add personal struggles again. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I, I was very fortunate to have good kids who served the Lord, but you got a lot of pastors whose kids aren't. Now that's true. Yes, you absolutely. Know, those things that 
uh, uh, we we were in a small, sleepy southern town in South Georgia, and uh, my birthday was coming up, and my wife went to Walmart after dark to get some birthday stuff. We had, she had invited some friends from Atlanta and relatives from Atlanta, and she was attacked in the Walmart parking lot, mm. and that'll that'll rock your world. Mm-hmm. You know, I show up, and the police are everywhere, and. Uh, you know, she's got blood coming out of her ear and hmm. nose, and that'll that'll uh, you know. But uh, so so, in other words, personal things come in, mm-hmm. and thank goodness, Bruce, I'm like you. I've got a great wife, tough as nails, and uh, uh, she was having her personal devotions a couple of mornings later, and I, I need to memorize where it is, but it's in Psalms where it talks about. When men attack me, you will protect me, and mm-hmm. and and I I walked up on her, and uh, she's you know always faithfully having her devotions, and she was crying, and and uh, I said you okay, and she said look at this, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. said he cares about me, mm-hmm. and she's never had a problem with it since, and yeah. the guy was sent up for like nineteen years or twenty something mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. but it was more than just attacking her. He had. He was out. He'd broken probation. He was in prison before. Mm-hmm. He had molested two girls. So, anyway, it, it's you know they're always the pastor has to live his life as well. Right. Right. So I I do think that that weighs in on the situation. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna put a metaphor in front of you guys and see what you think. It's a little bit like. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to use the picture of carrying a load. It's a little bit like, okay, you've got the bricks of your own life sitting on your shoulders, okay? And now I'm going to add on to that the bricks of every member of the congregation for whom I feel feel uh, pastoral responsibility, and a pastor who really does his job feels that pastoral responsibility. So it's like being under a load of bricks sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, and you, that is a big one because, like in a marriage, you know, a husband knows he's supposed to be the priest in his family. Mm-hmm. As a pastor, you're supposed to be the priest of the leadership and and of the of the staff. But who's my priest? Mm-hmm. There you go. And and I never had a mentor. I haven't talked to that many guys that did have a mentor. Fortunately, I had about three guys here at the seminary, mm-hmm. Dr. Getz, Dr. Reed, uh, uh, Dr. Pentecost mm-hmm. was a major part of my life. And I had the freedom to call them. But I didn't have a mentor. And then I got to thinking, well, who did Jesus have as a mentor? Mm-hmm. And that took me into a better understanding of the vital nature of having that relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and know that I've been grafted into yeah, that. Yeah, and I think another protection on this one is the idea of really thinking through what the body of Christ is supposed to be, that sometimes what we do is we put all that responsibility on, on our own shoulders mm-hmm. as one person. Mm-hmm. and. No one can bear up to no. that kind of a load. And they'll never understand. And that's right. And so so the idea that the body really is designed to um, <laughs> to be a shock absorber, if I can say that's it great. that way, and 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 share the load and share the pastoral responsibilities. I happen to minister in a church 
where the elders are very, very active in the pastoral care. They share the pastoral mm-hmm. care with the pastor. They do the hospital visits in many occasions. You know, they do the visit with the family, and uh, they may be connected to a small group that they oversee. That kind of thing. And and the and the the caring relational parts of the ministry are divided out in a way in which the body bears the burden. And that seems to me to be one. If you can ask. If you were to ask me how a pastor could structure his ministry in such a way Mm -hmm. that there's some built-in protection, one of them is to make sure that the ministry of the community is distributed and the the church understands the the pastor can't do everything. Mm -hmm. There are other people who can do this too. Amen. Amen. You know, I pastored Southern Baptist churches for all these years, and they've got a pretty good system. uh, they've got uh, – when our daughter was diagnosed with cancer, a guy came out from the state convention down from Atlanta and took us out to eat and just mm-hmm. – you know, it's, it's sort of like the article I read when I was a kid, when I was first reading. I got my hands on a Reader's Digest and these people's home had uh, caught on fire and they made it out alive and they're standing there at night by a busy road with their bathrobes on watching their house burn. And the cars just kept zipping by, and finally somebody stopped, came up, and just stood there with them. It's not really that you know they had to say anything. Right, they just had to be there. Yeah, that's, that's and so, so true. much of that, is, and I, I think that's a lot of what mm-hmm. you do, Bruce, and mm-hmm. hopefully a lot of what I do. Just well, I want to put a plug in for the seminary here, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Bailey. I my hats off to him because he recognized a need and. Then Kim Till got involved, uh, Greg Hatterberg got involved, Mark Yarborough, and they begin to see that there's a lot of hurting guys out there. When you think about the investment they've made for their education, the investment that the seminaries made in the education, what are we doing to feed them while they're out there? So right. that's when they brought me on board, and, and, and I'm pleased to say that we've been able to – we just hired a guy for the West Coast and a guy for the East Coast to divide this thing up a little hmm. bit, and hmm. we're still inadequate. Yeah, But I, I think th- for the guys to know that we're here and to be able to call upon Chad right. and Joe and be able to say and, – and the profs yep. – to have that networking going. Yeah, and that's actually part – something that's happened to us, too, at the center. As we've done our conferences, and particularly as we've moved outside the city to do our conferences and we're getting feedback from the pastors, in some cases, who are reconnecting to the seminary. Uh, for the first time in a long time, that kind of thing. This need uh, of this particular area is actually why we're doing this podcast mm-hmm. and why later we're going to be doing a pastor's lunch to try and build some of these relationships for these guys who may feel isolated and give them the opportunity to connect. We've, we've felt the exact same need in the center that you're sensing in the mm-hmm. alumni relations office. And of course, we're doing a podcast, and the podcast isn't seminary specific. The podcast is really about ministry in general, and what we're talking about is something that runs through ministry in general as well, and we're trying to to alert not just the pastors that they might be in a cycle that they can catch themselves in the midst of, which would be one way to think about it, but also help the people who are listening who aren't pastors but who don't understand what the pastorate involves, mm-hmm. um, to create some sympathy and understanding for them about how, in some cases, people within church communities can rally around their pastor in a way that's helpful. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's let's talk about how um, 
churches can rally around their pastor and and help them in the midst of this kind of situation. Obviously, we've suggested that the pastor himself's got to take some initiative to to build some relationships outside the church so there's a there's a kind of valve and he's got to be careful about uh, making sure he's staying uh, healthy in his relationship with God and he's got to pay attention to his obviously to how his wife is involved. But what can church people do to help the pastor? I think words of encouragement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I live off of you know words of encouragement. Um, let me let me flip it a little bit, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. We we had a uh, our student pastor at the church where I most recently was has two little girls, and both of them have cystic fibrosis. Hmm. And uh, you know we were good friends, and uh, he's about the age of my son. And uh, just in talking with him, I would say, you know, Chris, this is – you know, he would open up and I would say, Chris, this is, this is really one that you'll never get over. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll live with this the rest of your life and mm-hmm. the rest of their lives. But, you know, just him knowing that somebody cares. It's, we're, I mean, we're coming full circle here, mm-hmm. but just him knowing and, and I still stay in touch with him and every once in a while if he gets down, he'll call me. And uh, I have other guys from the church that call me here. You know, how's it going out there? And right. you know, just just words of affirmation. Though that it's huge, mm-hmm. it's huge. A couple of things that I would add to that: people don't realize that pastors need a break. Mm-hmm. And I know of some boards that they watch the pastor closely and said, "You haven't had a week off, or you haven't had a weekend off." You're going to get it. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate in the early years of our church. Uh, somebody found out Linda and I liked Jamaica, mm-hmm. and they would surprise because I, I I'm like a race car without a governor. I I can't shut down. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to get me, and then if they don't, I crash. But um, and I think the second thing is a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. I think every seven years there ought to be at least a month to three months sabbatical. Yeah, I I know. I've one of the pastors that I'm really close to here in the city. Um, get six weeks every summer in which he has no responsibility at all, and then I think there's probably it's eight to ten weeks total in that period where he's not responsible mm-hmm. for for preaching. Sounds so, good to me. Yeah, I mean that's a that's well, especially a, when the average church member says, "Well, how hard could it be?" Yeah, there I mean, I've heard that phrase. You're just you're getting up there and speaking one day a week. You know, how yeah. hard could it be? And what's yeah. your handicap? <laughs> yeah, and what they don't realize is is that you're out most nights of the week at this meeting or that meeting mm-hmm. with that group. You've got that emergency call that comes, et cetera. It's it's pretty overwhelming. Well, believe it or not, our time is just kind of slipped away from us, and we've, we're used to saying this on the table, and we've only scratched the surface of what we could discuss. But I really do appreciate um, your willingness to come in and, and talk to us about, about what's involved in pastoral burnout, and hopefully those who are listening have gotten a glimpse of kind of the other half of what pastoral life can be like and have a sensitivity for it. And if you are a pastor, first of all, well done, good and faithful servant. There's our word of encouragement to you. And secondly, I think uh, a word of encouragement to make sure that you're building and keeping an eye on three key relationships that, that sometimes can get lost in the isolation and the lack of trust. One is with someone on the outside. 
The second is obviously your walk with God. And third is keeping a close eye on how you're relating to your spouse and that she's in the loop in a positive way and not in a negative way. So we thank you for being a part uh, with us here on the table. And we thank you for being a part of the table with us. And we hope to hear from you and see you again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.